Hey there, and thanks for listening to our podcast. Our mission at Hope is to invite everyone to find Jesus and help them move toward the center of God's purpose for their life. Here's this weekend's message. Hey, everybody. Welcome uh, to Hope, all of our campuses, all of you watching online. So glad that you're with us. We're continuing the series of John. Uh, Had a great men's conference uh, this past Friday, and I'm just glad that you're here. And, And today we have a special treat for this weekend my good friend, who is a life coach, he's a teaching pastor, but more important than all of that to me, he's my good friend, Mike Foster. And he's gonna be uh, continuing our series in the book of John. And I, pr- I promise you this, he's one of my favorite guys we have come in because he's so real, he's so authentic, and he is going to be a blessing to you and our church family today. Would you welcome with me, my good friend, our good friend, Mike Foster. All right. Hey, hey, morning. Uh, it's so great to be with you. I love this church and also want to say hi to all those who are joining us at the different campuses and online. I, uh, I got to spend some time with John because I, I am a good friend of John's and I love that man so much. And uh, on Friday night, he, he spared no expense. I flew into town and, and he's all, Mike, I, I'm going to take you to this amazing restaurant I'm like, all right, John, I'm ready. And he, 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 we, we drove right up to the Outback Steakhouse. And um, we had an amazing time. The food was great. The, the bread was amazing. Uh, but, but more importantly, the conversation was just uh, incredible. Because for two hours, we just got to talk about family and ministry and dreams and passions. And I just, the more time I spend with John, the more I, I love him and appreciate him and you guys already know this, but you're just so lucky to have him as your lead pastor. He's a, he's a true gift. So thanks for letting me hang out with uh, you guys. I always kind of say like John's dad, I'm the crazy uncle. Thanks for letting me visit and be with you this weekend. And we're going to continue the series in John, and we're looking at the different interactions that Jesus had with all different types of people. And this morning we're going to look at how Jesus interacted uh, with the broken, with the hopeless, those who are in great need and despair. And uh, what I love about Jesus and what I love about sort of the way he interacted with them is that uh, he brought a real solution. He brought a real healing, a real transformational power. Because in our world that we live in right now, our society, I believe, offers up lots of options. You know, everybody's got a miracle cure or a herbal tea that we should all be drinking or, or some, some self-help book that we should be reading. And there's lots of options out there to fix some of our deepest needs and wounds. One of the uh, things that I, I do in my free time is I spend probably way too much time on Instagram. I have an Instagram account. I post pictures of you know, my two Pomeranians and my wife and my kids and just things of that, that nature. And I follow different accounts for, you know, home decor and uh, sports. And, and I, I uh, of course, lots of dog uh, accounts that I follow because I'm a big dog fan. And, but one of the accounts that's out on Instagram is a guy known as the Liver King. Anybody ever heard of the Liver King? All right. <laughs> so let me tell you the story of the Liver King. So the liver king, do we have a picture of him? There he is right there with a a piece of meat around him. And his whole shtick for the past few years has been 
what uh, he calls ancestral living. And the whole concept of ancestral living is to go back to kind of our caveman ways and just eat liver and meat and raw stuff and um, you know things he, he encourages people to eat things that I don't even want to mention from an animal but but uh, this is this whole thing and he's like if you do this you can look like me not me Mike Foster but him liver king have big muscles a six-pack you'll be strong you'll be unstoppable if you just follow my methods of eating liver, and by the way, he has a bunch of supplements that he sells on his website, okay? And so he's been going on with his ancestral living and his solutions for our lives of how to be strong and how to be muscular and how to like have a great life. And over the years, he's, he's sold millions and millions of dollars of his supplements. And it, came, it comes to find out like a couple months ago, he was exposed uh, for not following all of his protocol or perhaps adding some additional things to his protocol that he did not let anybody else know. So yes, he was eating liver. Yes, he was taking his supplements. But apparently it comes to find out that in order to look like that, you have to take $10,000 worth of steroids every month, which was what the liver king was doing. Now, he didn't mention that. I don't know. Uh, Innocent oversight? I think not. But the reality is I think a lot of times when we're looking for solutions to our lives or maybe we just like, how do I get a fit body? I got to just eat liver and take supplements. That, that there's no shortcuts. There's no sort of uh, quick fixes. There's no solution that's sort of out there on, on Instagram or the, or the internet that is going to solve the problem that only Jesus can solve. Some of you are loaded up with lots of trauma from your, your, your childhood, wounds, pain, guilt, shame. Some of you are sitting in this room right now and you feel hopeless, you feel broken. And the beautiful thing is that Jesus wants to have an interaction with you. He wants to bring you a solution that actually works. It doesn't have a little asterisk by it or some little extra thing you gotta do or or he's not going to like bamboozle you with, with something that actually isn't going to work. He brings us healing and hope and transforms us from the inside out. I think about my own life and the solutions that I have sought after. I've shared this story before at Hope, but in my early childhood there was, there was sexual abuse in my childhood and uh, a lot of trauma and it just really created some beliefs about the world, about love, about safety that really honestly kind of messed me up. And I, I spent so much of my life trying to fix myself, trying to, uh, you know, people please and through perfectionism and through performance and being a workaholic and, and trying to control things. I, I felt like these were the pathways to solving the, the deep wounds of my heart. I struggled with shame for decades, just feeling like unworthy and not enough. And, and all of that shame led to just some really messed up ideas that I had about my identity and, and, and who I was. Again, all of it from that early childhood experience. 
And then finally, you know, the after, you know, honestly, the, the stuff of, of me kind of transferring all of that pain onto my, my wife and in our marriage and me transferring all of that pain onto my, my kids and as, as a father, I said, like, I got, I got to deal with this. I got to go to a solution that's actually going to set me free. And, and God came in and, and he began to just transform my life and to heal me and to release me from the things that had kept me trapped in, in all these solutions that did not work. And I'm not ashamed of my story. I'm not ashamed of my past. I, I gladly share it because I know that the things that I've experienced and gone through in my brokenness, just like your brokenness, serves a purpose. It, it gives us an a, a, a opportunity to tell our story of God transforming us, saving us, rescuing us from our pain. And it gives us a story to help other people. It gives us compassion for other hurting people. I believe because of the things that I've gone through in my life that my heart is bigger. My ears are now better listeners to people's stories. That there's more compassion and more, more empathy for the pain that is in the world because of my own story. See, this is, this is what I believe, that my past brokenness is a better bridge to people than my pretend righteousness. You know, I, could, I could stand up here and tell you I got my, my act together and I've done everything right, but I, I'm telling you, that is not how I want to come across. That's not how I want to be. I believe that God has, has allowed certain things to happen in my life and there's certain things. I don't think he, he intentionally did it, but allowed it. And, but, his, but the whole point was to save me, to give me a new, new set of eyes of how I saw the world, how I saw people's pains. I, I, I spend my Monday through Friday, uh, six hours a day, holding space for people as a counselor, helping them through their trauma, helping them through their pain, helping them through their dysfunction and their addictions and their mental health issues. I sit there and I, sit and I go, man, I, I love this. This is such a joy. God, I see how you have put together my own story of, of, of messiness and how now I get to serve you and bring hope to others. See, the Bible says this so clearly in Psalm 147, verse 3. It says that he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. I've experienced this, and many of you in this room have experienced this. And this is the interaction that Jesus wants to have with broken people. He says, I'm here to help. I'm here to free you. I'm here to heal. I'm here to bring you hope. And if you have your Bibles in John 5, we're going to see uh, a couple interactions that Jesus had with the broken. One with a man who was an invalid and disabled for 38 years, and another interaction in John uh, of a man who was born blind at birth. But let's first look at this first story in John 5, it says this, verse 5. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there's uh, in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie. The blind, the lame, the, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 30 years. Eight years. Can you imagine? 38 years, almost four decades of his life, an invalid. 
And when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Which is such an interesting question, don't you think? Like, do you want to get well? Like, is that a rhetorical question, Jesus? It actually wasn't. What Jesus was doing in that moment is saying, do do you want healing? Do you want healing from the king of kings? Do you want a a real solution to help you in your uh, uh, state? Or do you want to continue to seek other solutions? Do you want to get well? See, one of the things that we learn here is that Jesus invites us into his transformational power. He does not force it upon us. I don't know if you used, used to watch the Oprah Winfrey show, but, you know, she'd have audience members, and they, they would come to the studio, and then she'd, she'd give away free prizes, right? She'd be like, a car for you and a car for you, and she just, like, gives stuff, and it's like, take it, take it, take it. And that's really cool and makes for really great TV, but Jesus doesn't operate that way. He says, if you want it, it's here for you. But I respect you enough, I respect your freedom of choice, I respect your autonomy enough that I'm not going to just force my healing upon you. I'm not going to force my way into your life. We're going to have a relationship here and I'm going to allow you to choose. Do you want to get well? Verse 7 says, Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. So here's basically what he's referring to, is that this pool that all of these disabled, paralyzed, blind, broken people are at, were there because the, the legend, and we're not sure whether this was actually true, like an actual work of God was happening, or this was just sort of uh, mythology, but the belief was that an angel would come down and would stir the waters of the pool and whoever got into the pool first would be healed, whatever their infirmity was. And so, so the blind man, or, or the invalid was saying, I, I, I don't have anybody to get me into the water. I've been trying to get into the water. It's like, I, I, I can't do it. I'm never the first one in, so I can't be healed. And, and so basically he's giving an excuse. He's like, focusing on the water and he's focusing on why he can't get healed and he's focusing on the problem when the solution is standing right in front of him. Jesus, do you want to get well? And uh, listen, I, again, I work with all kinds of people and I have great empathy and compassion for people that I work with. But one of the things that is so difficult for me to, to be around is when people feel powerless. When people tell me like, Mike, I can't change. I can't do this. My parents were so cruddy that this is just the way I am. And I'm like, no, no. In fact, one of the deadliest human diseases is victim thinking. I'm not, not blaming victims. I'm just saying the, the thoughts of feeling powerless, that you can't do anything. I think that's actually the enemy saying, yeah, you're right. You're forever broken. Why reach out to Jesus? Why, why ask for help? Just stay the way you are. You'll never get down in the water. You spent 38 years as an invalid. We're going to spend 38 more. 
And that is such a lie from the pit of hell. It is such a destructive way to think about our lives because Jesus says, like, if you're ready, I'm ready. Like, if you want to get healed, let's go. Let's do this. And then Jesus said to him, verse 8, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. And what we see here is that, that Jesus' interaction with the sick and broken is a partnership. So it's not like, like Jesus like, I'm going to heal you. It's like, now get up and walk. Take action. Do something. Move. See, so, so often, like, when we think about our faith and, and growing in Christ and, and developing a relationship with him, we think, we're like, oh, I'm just going to sit here and I'm just going to receive. I, I don't, I'm going to be very passive. And friends, like, that's just not the way it works. It's like, this is an active faith. This is a faith where, where we're in partnership with Jesus to bring light and hope to the world. That's what we get to do. It's like we got to make some, some changes. We got to make some, some different choices. We got to reset our priorities when we come into a, a relationship with Jesus. It's not just like, hey, God, I'll receive it. And then nothing new, nothing different. I got to pick up my mat. I got to stand up. I got to walk. It's a partnership. So two, two things I want to point out here in terms of how Jesus interacted in the, with the broken. The first thing is that, that Jesus moved close, okay? He moved close. In fact, I love what Psalm 34, 18 says. It says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know what, what your story looks like and maybe... Maybe you feel crushed. Maybe you are brokenhearted. Maybe you are, are, are filled with anxiety and stress and you think about your future and you think about your life and you're confused and you're, maybe this is just like you're having a bad week, but some of you might be having a really bad life. And what I, wanna, I want you to know is that Jesus is here with you. He cares about you. He notices you. He, he's leaning in and, and, and he's ready whenever you are. He's asking you, do you want to get well? And Jesus moves close. I think he actually moves really close. But sometimes we just miss him. Uh, in the early 2000s, I started a ministry with some friends called Triple X Church. And one of the, the things that we did in this ministry were we were sort of the pastors and counselors, the people working in the porn industry. And one of the parts of the ministry, there was many parts of the ministry, but one of the parts of the ministry was we would go down and rent a booth at their trade show or their convention, which happened in Las Vegas every year. And so we'd rent out a booth space, and we would hand out Bibles and uh, pray with people and counsel people and just just help it. We wanted to move close. I, a lot of people ask, like, well, Mike, what did, what did your wife think about you going to a, a porn convention? And I, I had a really great answer to that question. She came with me, okay? <laughs> she was standing right next to me. And then I always get the, kind of the second question, well, wasn't that a temptation to have, see all that sort of stuff around you? And it's like, no, not really, because I'm as blind as a bat without my glasses. And so whenever I was uh, working the floor and doing the, 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 the ministry there, I, I just would look like this. This is what I look like. I can't see any of you right now. 
Got to be strategic, right? Got to be smart. The other thing is I didn't do it by myself. There's a team of people in us. But we wanted to move close. And one of the things that I realized in, in doing that for almost seven years uh, was um, the people who are producing porn, in porn, uh, the business people are behind porn, that I hope this doesn't come to a shock, as a shock to you, but they're a lot like you and I. Okay? They have the same hopes, the same dreams, the same struggles, maybe the same backgrounds, but their path had just taken them in a different direction than maybe the direction that your life has gone. And so one of the things that happens is when we move close to people's pain, just like Jesus did, is that judgment tends to go down and understanding tends to go up. But we've got to move close. See, it's so easy to kind of stand away and be the peanut gallery and point our fingers and say, I can't believe they're doing that. I don't like that stuff. I'm angry about this, this and that. And listen, what the porn industry doing, is doing is completely destructive. Okay? No question. But people, the people, when we can move into people's stories, that's where things can begin to change in terms of how we interact and think about it. So, for example, here's your neighbor's problems, okay, and their story. And you're thinking, oh, wow, she is, those kids are out of control. She is a horrible mother. I don't understand why she's raising them that way, blah, blah, blah. She always is losing her temper and yelling and blah, blah, blah. But here's the story and the problem. And, friends, this is pretty much what we know about it right there. That's our understanding, right? But we need to move close because when we move close, we have a different perspective. We begin to understand the different aspects of why people are doing the things that they're doing, why they are reacting this way, what their, their history looks like, what their upbringing looks like, what their challenges are, what their sadness are, is, what their mental health struggles might be. And so we got to move close. John 9, Jesus meets a, a, a blind man, and they're, they're arguing about, like, why is this man blind? And they're having this philosophical debate. They're kind of like, again, looking at the problem from a distance, and they're having the wrong uh, conversation. And Jesus says, no, I'm going to move close here. And he moves so close, well, let's just read. In John 9, verse 5, it says, while I am in the world, Jesus is saying this, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And after saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told them. Wash in the pool of Siloam. So the man went and washed and came home saying, so Jesus gets his hands dirty and muddy, and Jesus' hands touches the eyes of the blind man. He is so, so close. He is getting it. You know, he could just be like, I, I got I to gotta keep my hands clean here. I don't want to get too close to, to this situation. I want to like, he moves as close and as intimate as you can get with somebody, touching their eyes with mud. And so maybe the challenge for you and the question I want to ask you today is, how can I get some spiritual dirt underneath my fingers this week so I can be more like Jesus? See, part of 
my challenge in my own life is that I kind of want my, my faith to be kind of like a clean version of my faith. Like I want to do the right things. I, I don't want to get too messy. I don't get kind of mud on my hands. And here's what it looks like for me. Like in, in San Diego where I'm from, we have a lot of homeless population. And, and um, you know, I, 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 I think like so often I, I think, think about helping the homeless and I'll be walking on the street and there'll be somebody maybe begging for money or, or, or panhandling. And I'm walking and I'm walking. I'm thinking, okay, um, should I help this guy? Like, oh man, is this going to go for drugs? Is this going to go for alcohol? And uh, like, how much money do I actually have in my pocket? And is this going to make me late to, uh, to this meeting that I'm going to? And this is all the stuff that I'm thinking about, right? And all the while I'm thinking about helping him, I walk right by him. Guilty, okay? And I think this is what a lot of us look like. We, we're, we're thinking a lot about helping people, and we have this really big head, okay? There's you and me. And we got this really tiny body, okay? And we're thinking and we're thinking and we're plan- planning and we're praying and we've got all this stuff happening in our head, but we're not getting our hands dirty, people. We're not activating our hands and our feet and our mouth and, and our actions to actually help. And I'm convicted of this myself. I'm like, man, this week, I wanna be like Jesus. I wanna get my get some, some mud going. I want to touch some eyes. I want to get some, some spiritual dirt underneath my fingernails. That's the challenge. Overthinking stops the deployment of God's love. Go, do, help. Yes, be wise. Yes, do it in community. I'm a big believer in that. But, but let's like take some of that, that energy that's in our big head right now and push it down into our body. Push it down into action. I love what Brene Brown says. She says, what I regret most in my life, by the way, Brene is a great author. Uh, she's a Texan, so whatever she says is true, right? That's what I believe about Texas. Uh, but she says this, what I regret most in my life are failures of kindness. Those moments when another human being was there in front of me suffering, and I responded sensibly, reservedly, mildly. Friends, may that not be our template. Reservedly, mildly, sensibly. It's okay to take a risk in loving and moving close to people because that's what Jesus did. And finally, I want to wrap with this. Jesus not only moved close when he interacted with the broken, but he moved with compassion. And compassion literally means to suffer together. It looks like this. It's your heart connected to somebody else's heart. That's compassion. Where you care and you feel what they're feeling and you sense the despair and hopelessness and it's almost as if you are experiencing it yourself to suffer together that's the way Jesus interacted with the broken he felt their pain he saw their struggle he felt their anxiety and their fear that's compassion 
This past summer, I was uh, attending a wedding of a friend of mine. And uh, we were uh, assigned different tables uh, to sit. And, and I got sat next to uh, a guy named Willie Robertson. And Willie uh, had a uh, reality show on A&E called Duck Dynasty. I don't know, some of you may, may have watched that show. Um, and, and Willie, I didn't know Willie. I didn't, I didn't watch the show. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not into ducks and hunting and, and big beards. Uh, that's just not my, my style, if you can't tell. I'm from San Diego. I'm soft, okay? That's, that's what I am. But I sat next to Willie, and uh, we just struck up a conversation as he's there with his wife, Corey, and they're just wonderful people. And we really, really hit it off, and, and we're just kind of talking about life, and dreams, and family, and all that good stuff. And um, Corey, his wife, says, yeah, you know, Willie almost didn't make it to the wedding this evening. I'm like, oh, really? Why, why is that? Uh, and Corey goes, well, he was up in Alaska this morning. Uh, which is very far away from San Diego, if you don't know that. But he was up in Alaska, and he almost didn't make it down here. And Willie then began to unpack the story of why he was in Alaska. And apparently, every summer, he would go to Alaska and hunt and fish. This was his, his kind of mode of operation. He'd take a few friends and, and have this adventure trip every summer. And uh, every summer, he, they, would, they would go into this little convenience store, this kind of bratty, kind of small convenience store that sold soda and chips and, and little knickknacks like that. And in the, the lady that was running uh, the cashier and kind of running the store was a, a, name, a lady named Julie. And Julie was morbidly obese, and had a condition where she actually had hair on her face. And she was, in many ways, kind of an outcast in the community. Uh, her, her appearance was, was one that most people are kind of like, oh, geez, I, I don't know what's going on there, but I'm not drawn to that. She was overlooked. She was ridiculed. She was mocked. People snickered. But not Willie. Willie loved Julie. And he knew that Julie watched the show, and he, he knew that Julie knew who he was. And so every summer, when he would go into that, that convenience store to get Doritos and a Pepsi, he would see Julie, and he would walk up to her, and he would give her a big hug. He would look into her eyes and listen, listen to her story and ask her how she's doing. And he just showed up with compassion and love. And... Uh, right before the, the wedding that we were attending, Julie had passed away. And Willie said, you know, I, I got to be at her funeral. I'm, I'm going to that memorial service. And so he flies thousands of miles up to Alaska. He knows he's supposed to be at this wedding with his wife. But he, he goes to this funeral and he sits in this cruddy little chapel with just a few other people on these broken down chairs, and they honor and memorialize the life of Julie. Friends, that's compassion. That is my heart connecting to your heart. That is Willie's heart connecting to Julie's heart. Sharing in the suffering, carrying that load, 
caring about people. That's what Jesus did with the broken, the Julies, the, the overlooked, people who are desperate. Compassion, compassion, compassion. Friends, may we respond in the same way that Jesus did to the hurts of this community, to the people in your neighborhood who are crying out for help, the people at your workplace who are hopeless and don't know what to do. May we move close and have compassion. May this week we get some spiritual dirt underneath our fingernails. Let's pray. God, thank you for your love, for rescuing us, for caring about us. God, for for engaging with the people of this world that so many of us just want to overlook or move away from. God, open our eyes, open our ears to the hurts of this world so that we can make a difference. Let us be light in the darkness. Let us bring love when there is no love. Let us bring hope to the hopeless. And in so doing, we live like you. It's in your son's name we pray and all of God's people said, amen. Thanks for listening to Hope's weekend message. Visit hopefellowship.net and further connect with us by downloading the Hope app from the App Store or Google Play. Have a great day.